that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Hello, and welcome to the Silver Screens Podcast. My name is Charles. Hi, I'm Chucky. So glad you could make it. The hosts are expecting you. Come play with us. Right this way to the dungeon. Please, watch your step and try not to trip over the corpses. I see dead people. You'll be joining the terrifying trio for tonight's talk. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Make yourselves comfortable on the couch right over there, and they'll be with you shortly. Oh, and one last thing. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. It's showtime. Scream Team, how are you guys doing? Welcome to another episode of the Silver Screams Podcast, a podcast where three horror movie buffs watch scary movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Derek Schneider, and I am pleased, as always, to be joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Max Fosberg and Kristen Marlowe. <laughs> Happy Friday, you two. How are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm having yeah. a good day. Absolutely. Another Friday here in the dungeon. Great to hear as usual. And uh, big fro- big props to our friends at Camp Crystal Latte Coffee that fuel my late night prep sessions like I'm a hotshot lawyer gunning for partner at my firm, but about to encounter things that will shake my very strong beliefs to the core. Speaking of hotshot lawyers gunning for partner at their firm, this week we watched the courtroom drama slash horror film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So the big theme in this film, both metaphorically and literally, is facing your demons, uh, which I wanted to ask you guys, do you guys believe in demons? You know... Yes. I mean, it would be very hard to say no. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I can't say yes, but I think it would be... you You can't say no, right? This whole movie was about, like, can you say that it's factual? Yeah, no, I mean, ulti- ultimately, that's what it comes down to at the very end of it when, yeah. you know, their final their final argument about this is, you know, can, like, can you say for sure that this no. this is I don't think you can. Like, I don't think you, that you can factually say that it that they don't exist. So I can't factually say that they do either. There's nothing I love more than a good exorcism. And <laughs> I want demons to be real because I want exorcisms exorcisms to be real. Well, exorcisms are real. Yeah. I don't know so, if like you know the demon part possession could be demons. I, I love this kind. It's like candy. oh, I love this stuff candy too. for me. Yeah, that's the that's the thing about it is that there's you know there's so many logical explanations for this kind of stuff. Like you like we see in the movie, like as they go through it, there's you know medical explanations for why things are happening to her. Sure, uh, but at the same time, it's like you know like how much of like what what do you believe it comes down to what do you believe like is this is this something you believe is possible and i don't know like i'm kind of in the same camp it's like i want to believe that these aren't real because that's scary shit Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) totally that it could happen to anybody but you know on the same token like i you, you can't say for sure that it isn't real 
Yeah, you cannot say for sure. One thing we can say for certain, though, is that there are nothing but spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen this movie yet and don't want it spoiled, go check it out and then come back here for the episode. Now, this episode is going to take a quick recess to tell you about one of the other awesome shows that you can find right here on the Chatter Network. Do you like movies? Of course you do. Do you love movies? Well, so do we. How's it? I'm Alex McCauley, host of Excuse the Intermission, a discussion show surrounding movies. Join me and my co-host Max Fosberg and Grant Colombini each week as we conversate about films from the past, the present, and the future through fun and engaging podcast formats like movie drafts, Hall of Fame lists, tournament brackets, and film reviews. So whether it's the newest blockbuster or a resurgent black and white cult favorite, you can count on us to keep you in the know on all things movie related. Excuse the intermission is a part of the Chatter Network. All right, welcome back, Scream Team. Now, all rise for the sort of honorable Max Fosberg, who's going to tell us about the folks presiding over the making of this film. Absolutely. All right, this film came out in 2005. Uh, it was directed by Scott Derrickson, uh, which I believe this was his first feature film, uh, written by Paul Harris uh, Boardman and Scott Derrickson. Well-respected actors in, in this cast. Uh, Laura Linney, of course, plays uh, our, our main lawyer, uh, Aaron Bruner, Tom Wilkinson plays Father Moore, Campbell Scott as Ethan Thomas, the prosecutor, and Jennifer Carpenter as the titular character, Emily Rose, who in this movie is fantastic. Yeah. She is so good as Emily Rose. I was, I, I've seen this movie multiple times, but watching it again, just blown away by her performance. Yeah, it's super, super good. I think this was the first time that I've seen it since like the time that it first came out this was not one that i've revisited uh at all that i can remember and yeah i was i was really surprised after rewatching this and being like wow she did a really great job uh portraying this character and honestly i wanted more i wanted more of that like whole storyline i mean we'll get into it in our likes and dislikes and everything yeah, in fact, Laura, Laura Linney recommended Jennifer Carpenter uh, for the role of Emily Rose because she had just acted with her in a play and had called her the best young actress I've ever seen, um, which is high praise from someone like Laura Linney, who is extremely uh, talented uh, as an act actress herself. Well, I loved her in, um, not Laura Linney, but uh, Jennifer Carpenter, I loved her in Dexter. Mm. Deb was one of my very favorite characters. I still haven't seen that series. What? Yeah. I am shocked. <laughs> Derek, you would love that. She's great in quarantine too. That's such a good show. I've never seen quarantine. I've seen quarantine. Yeah. Good found footage film. Quarantine. Fun fact was one of the only movies that I've ever like had to get up and leave in the middle of. I've never seen it. Is uh, that scary? It was. I've like, never seen it. I own it. It looks like we're gonna have to watch that. July pick. July picks are coming up and yeah, and that would be a good time for me to tell that story. I'll save it for that. I'll save okay, it for okay. that. <laughs> All right. So our film opens up at the Rose household where the medical examiner has shown up to inspect the body of the recently deceased Emily Rose. The family waits downstairs anxiously. And when the examiner returns, he concludes that he can't confirm that Emily died of natural causes and the officer on site arrests father Moore. So right off the bat, you see this, spooky house out in the middle of nowhere bunch of fog blood on the barbed wire old man in a little cap shows up you think he's coming to do the exorcism right like that's the first thing you think is like oh this is the priest he's here to 
we're going to start with the exorcism and then it subverts your your thought of that and and is like exorcism's already over yeah so just a just a different a different um take right away yeah which i think this movie does very very well with the exorcism yeah that little drip on the barbed wire too i didn't really pick up on it until my second watch through about what that was there for yeah Uh, that definitely obviously when we get to it ties into the end yep so the prosecution and defense both pick their counsel who will lead their team in the trial for the prosecution they've selected ethan thomas a religious man himself but is known to be ruthless in a courtroom Out of the defense is going with Aaron Bruner, a rising star at her firm, hot off a high-profile case that's garnered a lot of media attention. Their strategy is a little more passive, though. Their Their main objective is to get Father Moore to take the prosecution's plea deal and not testify in court. If she can pull this off, she'll be making partner at the firm. This will prove to be more difficult than she had hoped, though, as Father Moore is only concerned with taking the stand and telling Emily's story for the world to hear. And the trial kicks off with a friend of the Rose family talking about the night that Emily called her late at night because something had attacked her in her dorm room. As she describes what happened to the courtroom, we see the scene play out with Emily. She's woken up at 3 a.m. and watches a pencil holder slide off onto the floor before her sheets are pulled back and she gets pinned to the bed by some force that she can't see. It eventually releases her and she runs to make the phone call. This scene in particular is so terrifying in the way that like you don't see anything Like, it's what I imagine it would be like. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I mean, I hope that I never have to know (laughs) what it's like, but I really imagine that's what it would be like if you were being, like, pinned down by a demon. sleep paralysis? I have, and I was actually just going to bring that up, that that same type of feeling of, like, a, like, a, but, like, I had had the experience where it was, like, a, a black entity like was over me literally holding me down and I could not tell you if I to this day if I was awake or asleep I have no idea I just like it was terrifying and I just couldn't move you couldn't say anything and this scene really does a great job of giving you that kind of like fear of what it would be like to experience that without you know yeah one of the things we were talking about logical explanations for this kind of stuff is that a lot of the times people that have sleep paralysis describe, you know, dark shadowy figures like looming nearby. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the logical explanation for it is that our brains will oftentimes try to fill in details of stuff that we're unsure of to try and like comprehend what we're seeing. And totally. so things like that, when you don't know, uh, I've heard on other podcasts, they talk about this where a lot of the times the fill in images that you get are like long elongated like figures so people oftentimes talk about seeing really tall or like exaggerated features on faces and stuff like that when really it's just the brain's natural fill-in for it which is which is fucking terrifying but like (laughs) that's the default that our brains go to rather than something something cute or cuddly like something not alarming the human brain is fucking weird so i mean like going back to what we were talking about in the original part of this podcast Mm -hmm. is like how can Mm -hmm. you say for sure you have mm-hmm. no idea. Like we could just call it sleep paralysis, but like that shit's fucking real. Yeah. Creepy ass black figured people come into your room and hold you down and like do shit to you. Well, if you look at the history of sleep paralysis, <laughs> like all the drawings are of like little demons sitting on yeah. someone's chest. Yeah, dude. And like the scene itself, like when when this is happening to her, you see the bed like getting compressed where yeah. something is like on something her. is kneeling and then yeah, right there on her throat, like you see her throat get pushed in and everything too. It's 
yeah, absolutely terrifying. Uh, one of the things that I did love in this, uh, I love in movies in general that this movie did too, is uh, there are when there are subtle like visual or audio cues that signal when something is going to happen. Uh, so in this movie, I don't know if you guys picked up on this too, but it's always purple lights. Yeah. Every time whenever there's I some didn't. kind of every yeah, time there's some the demons kind of, near, there's some sort of purple light going cool. on. There's some I purple light in the scene. Things. That's such a film thing to notice. <laughs> I wish I could notice that. That seems cool. Uh one of the other movies that I picked up on it when I was in my October movie marathon was uh Paranormal Activity. Every time the demons like, you know, coming around, there's this very low rumble that starts that you can like pick up on if you're listening for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the prosecution then begins presenting its case that epileptic seizures are what's to blame, not demonic possession. After the first day in court, Aaron goes to meet with Father Moore in jail, where he warns her that her involvement in this case, regardless of her being agnostic, opens her up to attacks from the dark forces surrounding this trial. The following day, Aaron meets with Jason, Emily's boyfriend from the university. He tells Aaron that Emily's condition only got worse after her stay in the hospital. She began seeing things like people's faces changing as she'd walk by, and he was nearby a chapel one night when he saw her go running in, only to find her standing near the altar with her body bent backwards unnaturally. And this is all Jennifer Carpenter doing these, yeah. these, uh, you know, odd uh, positions. I mean, she, ha- I think she has some sort of harness on in the in that church scene uh, to make it look a little weirder. But uh, a lot of, they had they had built a doll to like do the contortions and whatnot, but she was so flexible herself. She could do it. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> once they saw what she could do, they're like, yeah, this screw the doll. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is way scarier. And it's so creepy sometimes. Like when he, I think that it's, it, it's coming up next, but like when he wakes up in the dorm mm-hmm. and like, she's on the ground Yeah, that's the worst. And like her, her body's all bent weird. And she's just and like, she's staring. still, yeah, she's completely oh my still. God, it's so I hate that scene directly at him. Like I, I was watching this in the office, like as I'm mm-hmm. typing up the synopsis while I'm watching it. And like I said, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And when that happened, uh, I literally like scooted back in my seat because that was, yeah, it was just so creepy looking just like, I think it was like just the wide eyes and like staring directly at him. Yeah. And the shape of her body, like she was all <laughs> yeah. fucking weird and <laughs> stiff. Like it's so weird. It's mm-hmm. strange. So that night, Aaron is woken up at 3 a.m. and begins to walk through her house. After she gets to the kitchen, a door begins to open on its own and she rushes to close it before returning to bed. At the same time, over at the jailhouse, Father Moore is woken up by whispers of someone saying, one, two, three, four, five, six. Father Moore, give me Tom Wilkinson in anything. He is one of my favorite and I think one of the most underrated actors out there. He is so, so good in this movie. It's really good. Things aren't going their way in the trial and Aaron is worried that they're going to lose the case unless they can validate the idea of possession to the jury. In her research, Aaron comes across multiple articles by a Dr. Adani who uses scientific perspectives to learn about possessions in other cultures. Aaron feels that if they can get her as an expert witness, it could help turn the case around. Now, Jason takes the stand next in the trial and recounts one of the nights he stayed with Emily, only to wake up and find her body seized up in an unnatural position staring at him, the yeah, scene, yeah, we were, yeah. scene we were just talking about. Uh, Jason calls Emily's father, who has him bring Emily back home, but she would only get worse, prompting them to call Father Moore for some divine intervention. When Father Moore arrives at the Rose household, Emily is upstairs, crouched on her bedroom floor, eating dead bugs, shrieking, and scratching the walls. Father Moore and Mr. Rose have to restrain Emily as she begins speaking different languages before finally seizing up completely. Back in the courtroom, Aaron gets a small victory as Dr. Adani has come to testify. 
In her expert opinion, she believes that Emily was a hypersensitive person, which made her susceptible to possession, and that the drug she had been taking for her supposed epilepsy locked her in that possessed state. It comes to light that there was a medical doctor who attended the exorcism named Dr. Cartwright. He had requested not to be mentioned by Father Moore, but came forward after he started to see that the defense was losing the case. And his sole purpose for being there was to monitor Emily's physical and mental state during the exorcism, and he said that there was no way that Emily was epileptic or schizophrenic, as the prosecution had started mentioning. He leaves Aaron with a tape recorder Father Moore had used during the exorcism and had given to him afterwards for safekeeping. Now, Aaron is ecstatic that Dr. Cartwright is going to testify, but Father Moore is really only concerned about when he gets to take the stand to tell Emily's story. She tells Father Moore that the Archdiocese doesn't want him testifying for fear of him embarrassing the church, even though she thinks that if they want to avoid embarrassment, then Father Moore needs to walk free. Now, the dark forces don't like this development and send another warning to Aaron at three in the morning when she wakes up to hear the tape recorder playing audio from the exorcism in her living room. It is now Father Moore's time to shine. He takes the stand and begins talking about the night before the exorcism when he was woken up at 3 a.m. to the smell of something burning. As he moves through the halls, he sees the paintings and portraits begin to transform and mutate, prompting him to run outside, where he saw a shadowy figure standing in front of a purple light that seemed to nod at him. Aaron then has Father Moore play the tape for the courtroom. Now, this is where things really start to escalate. Like, definitely, uh, definitely. everyone everyone in this scene, like, the following scene, the way this, so the way this whole movie plays out, I guess we should say, is that it's the movie is about this trial mm-hmm. of father Moore and the horror movie aspect of it. Like the exorcism and stuff is kind of the underlying thing that's driving the story along. So as, as this courtroom drama is playing out, we get scenes of, you know, the actual events taking place. So this is where we're really going to start seeing the real shit, yeah. <laughs> the, the, ex, the actual exorcism itself. And you can feel the tension like in this scene, like when it starts up because it's, Father Moore, it's Dr. Cartwright, Mr. Rose, and Jason all in the room with Emily. And her mom and sisters are waiting downstairs. Everyone's nervous and on edge. It's just, yeah. I loved I loved that scene because it really, like, I felt the tension, like, just building up right there. Yeah, for sure. It's what I imagine it would be like if you were attending an actual exorcism. That That kind of heightened tension. So the group is all in Emily's room and have her restrained on the bed. Now, as the ritual proceeds, she breaks from her restraints, sticks her cats on Father Moore, and jumps out the window, making a break for the barn. Did she look so scary when she jumps out the window? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like seriously, sketch. <laughs> <laughs> her body, like, curls up, and she it's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. The group follows and manages to catch up to her, resuming the exorcism in the barn. As Father Moore demands the name of the demon, it responds back with names, for there are six of them that dwell within Emily, the last one being Lucifer. The devil in the flesh that scene where it's the devil of her as him oh god i i made a note That's of this of like nightmares bro. i loved the look in this shot like when when it goes her face goes com- like the lighting in the scene goes completely dark yeah. yeah the only thing you see are like the two small like eye lights like reflecting in her eyes there as she says you know she's saying lucifer the yeah. devil in the flesh and then right after that the lights kind of like something like there's light that hits as it comes back. But that part where the devil is announcing itself is just, mm. that was a really, really spooky scene. And I loved it. I loved it too. Everything in the barn. I mean, and, and you know, the exorcism itself, you have a, when you do an exorcism movie, 
everyone is going to expect it to be a copycat of the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to do something different, uh, and, and to really, uh, make it your own, you got to really, uh, commend this movie for doing that. Yeah. I think it definitely took like an exorcism itself. Like you can, I guess you can do different stuff with it. Uh, like the settings are really like what mm-hmm. makes it. So this being, you know, a courtroom drama, that's kind of like, taking place over top of you know describing events that have happened and trying to make sense of that we only get like snippets and stuff uh of the actual exorcism but yeah it's it's interesting to see we i mean we just we just covered you know not that long ago we covered the cleansing hour which is exorcisms an exorcism because really only one of them was actually real right uh done on live streamed on the internet so like the setting there, like the exorcisms themselves, like I'm sure each one was like a little different in what they did with the production of it. But, you know, the the setting for it, I guess, is like really what what sets these movies apart. You know what I wish? I don't know if you guys know much about we had talked about this when I picked this movie. I really like things based on true stories. Um, and I don't know how much you guys know about the actual true story here. Annalise Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Mikhail. Um. Yeah, so if if you if you've read a little bit about it then you know but she the actual girl that this was based on had undergone 67 exorcisms before what? she died. Yeah, 67. So we're, That's insane. So there was this German girl, she was 16, she had a seizure, they put her on some medication, they diagnosed her with depression. Um and then by the time she was 20, she like couldn't handle like um religious figures or like any and she started speaking other languages and they were like this seems weird. Um a couple of priests tried to like get approval um it took a long time for them to get approval to start with the exorcisms and then like i said 67 exorcisms before she died um and then the we'll get to how this movie wraps up the ending with what happens to the the priest here but um the parents of her and the two priests all got sentenced to six months in jail, um, which was reduced to three years of probation. But they all did time for it, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, just unreal, though. Can you imagine if the movie was actually based on that and we had to watch 67 different scenes like this take place? Like, unreal. (laughs) That would be wild. You're going to need a montage for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, five demons and the devil against the priest is no fair fight, so they abandon the ritual and deem it a failure. Father Moore wanted to perform another one, but Emily had refused. Now, as the trial continues, Dr. Cartwright doesn't show for his testimony, so the court recesses and Aaron is trying to find him, and she eventually does find him standing in the parking lot nearby, where he tells her, where he tells her to apologize to Father Moore on his behalf. He understands now that demons are real and knows what, they're, what exactly they're capable of. And as he's saying this, he seems to see something behind Aaron and starts to back away. Yeah, he gets so freaked out. Yeah. Like the fear that he has is so real. And you wonder if he's like, if he sees the shadowy figure, if maybe Aaron's face is like melty, like Emily saw people's face melting. Mm -hmm. Like you kind of just like really wonder and you never get to know. Like I really want to know what he sees. There's a couple different manifestations of this kind of stuff throughout the movie. I mean, Emily sees, you know, the melting faces and stuff on her run to the, to the chapel. Yeah. Uh, Father Moore just sees the shadowy figure that he talks about seeing, you know, even to this day, mm-hmm. uh, we don't know what, uh, 
Dr. Cartwright saw because yeah. it never shows it. And I, I was like bracing myself I to know, like wanna, see what it I was. I want to see it. Ugh. But he sees something and backs into the street and gets hit by a car killing him. Yeah. The, that scene is too, like super fucked up too. Cause he goes not as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't go out. It's not like he gets hit and goes out. He goes into the windshield. He rolls into the car. He breaks through the windshield and goes inside. That's fucked up. That is Mm -hmm. fucked up. Yeah, you never see a car accident (laughs) like that. You never see that. In a movie. Usually you like bounce off the car. Or up and over. But like going through the windshield was particularly graphic, Mm -hmm. I thought. That's a good little tidbit. Back at the office, Aaron's uh, going over the day's events and Carl, her boss, comes in and starts berating her for not talking Father Moore out of testifying. And says that if she puts him back on the stand again, she'll be fired. Ugh, this guy's such a chode. Like, get out. I hate him. <laughs> I do not like his character at all. Yeah, he's definitely not supposed to be a likable character. I know. I mean, and I know. In the beginning, you know, he's he's there. He's all excited that, you know, she just won this big high profile case. And so like stupid. there to bat for her, like wants wants her to take this case now. And yeah, as soon as, you know, things start turning, like all of a sudden he's, you know, not backing backing up one of his star so dumb typical corporate douchebag yep (laughs) so now aaron has to deliver the unfortunate news of dr cartwright's death to father moore she tells him that without his testimony they've pretty much lost the case but father moore rebuts saying that emily's story is what's most important here and he hands a letter to uh hands a letter to aaron that emily had written to him the day before she died yeah this letter is not real that i can tell in the from what like from the actual events oh. but i really wanted it to be yeah it would be so good and i think that's really brilliant on the writer's part it's just like a really nice little would you say that's like the number nugget. one prop in this movie you'd like to own <laughs> yeah i want to own the letter that emily rose wrote the day before she died <laughs> Pretty cool. or the morning she died or whatever it was so the next day in court with her boss watching on aaron calls father Moore to the stand once again And he says that Emily wrote this letter the morning after the failed exorcism and gave it to him the day before she died, telling him that it was important for him to share. Aaron then asks why God would allow Emily to become possessed. Father Moore then reads from the letter. In the letter, she says she heard someone calling her name and followed followed it outside, turning out to be the mother of God, the Virgin Mary. That's such a cool scene, though. This is when she's out in the fog. This is like the poster for the movie. She's out in the fog. There's like one kind of weird branchy tree thing. It's so good. That, that's another thing about this movie that the cine, cinematography and the, the shots, I mean, everything looks really, oh, yeah. really, really It's good. like on point. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, she lays down or falls down, falls on her knees. I don't know. Lays like, on her side. Yeah, and then come, gets out there, falls down, like falls down onto her side. And then another version of her. Yeah. Like gets up like the, the pure version. Yeah. We're essentially like, saying like her soul, her soul. Yeah. <laughs> And goes over to like the tree and everything about this whole scene is just shot so beautifully. Yeah. And again, like this is one thing where we see, we see like Father Moore's reading this letter, which is Emily telling Father Moore what happened to her. So, but we're seeing it played out. So it's kind of being narrated by Father Moore uh, that she's standing there at the tree talking to the Virgin Mary. We don't see like the image of it. Which, Uh, Which now that we're saying this out loud, I actually... Like, I kind of, I get it now and I enjoy that you never see it, right? Like, you never see the good, you never see the bad, which Mm -hmm. goes, ties into, like, is it possible, right? Like, you never actually, they're not showing it in the movie. They're not being like, and this is what happened. Mm -hmm. 
which I love. Yeah. Uh, so the Virgin Mary is then telling her that the demons were not going to be leaving her body. Like they were going to be there to stay, but gave her the option to leave now with her. Uh, but if she stayed, people would know that the realm of the spirit is real. And given that choice, Emily decided to stay and sort of become a martyr. Yeah. That's brave. Yeah. Did it ever, did it ever mention in the movie how long after the failed exorcism between what was the, what the timeline was between the failed exorcism. And I don't think the it did. Now that you're asking that, I don't actually know the amount of time between it couldn't have been that long though. Couldn't have been that long, but the father more like does talk about, you know, her condition deteriorating like continually after that, yeah. her not wanting to get another exorcism and stuff, even though they were trying to like, yeah, push I mean, it to- must have taken a while. It takes a long time to die of malnutrition. So yeah, we're saying like a couple of weeks at least. Mm-hmm. Would you guys choose to go with uh, Mother Mary or be a martyr? If if it was like a choice, like if I, I mean, obviously, like if Mother Mary was like legitimately asking and was not judging, which it seems like in this scenario, she was like, you know, she wasn't like, you could come with me and take the easy way or, or go back and like do what's right. You be a little yeah. bitch and do you know come what? with me. <laughs> yeah. Or. <laughs> yeah. So if it was like presented as a... In a non-judgmental choice, I would, I would just go then. I don't want to, I don't want to hang out with demons for however long that's going to be, even if I'm going to be remembered as some kind of like saint or whatever. I guess it's really like, yeah, depends on your, like your, your faith, like ultimately, because, you know, someone like me, who's, you know, not particularly religious, I, you know, I don't know if I would like going through that. No, even to I be, think anybody would like, like going. I through. love a good exorcism. I'm sticking around. You're, You're gonna, gonna stay. Wanna... You want to become friends with the demons. I. You want to ask them some I questions want to be living proof. Get to that know there are demons. Mm. Well, but you'll never. Even if we'll still be where we are today, yeah. Max. Is I, it real or not? Believe. You guys would believe in me. I would be exactly where I'm at right now. Skeptical <laughs> that it's real, but willing to say that it could be. He did drink a lot of coffee. He was always really jumpy <laughs> and kind of talking to himself. I don't know. I'm still on the fence about it. <laughs> Talk to himself a lot. <laughs> so as the prosecution and the defense present their closing arguments, they leave the jury to deliberate. And with the jury deliberating, we're going to take a quick break here as well to tell you about another awesome show here on the Chatter Network. I'm Amelia Sanson. And I'm Liz Ball. And we're the hosts of The Holy Hour. A podcast where we talk about modern dating, sex, and life in general. It's like hanging out with your girlfriends who say the things you think in private, but out loud on a public podcast. So join us for The Holy Hour, a Chatter Network podcast, available wherever you like to listen. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) I like that a lot. All right, welcome back, Scream Team. The jury has reconvened, and uh, turns out that they're going to find Father Moore guilty here. Yeah. But, asterisk. Always the butt. <laughs> I like a good butt. This is yeah, a good butt. <laughs> but the jury ultimately deems him that uh, he should be free to go, uh, recommending that, you know, he be... Time served. Time served. I fucking love that so much, mm-hmm. that he already paid the price. Yeah. Which I was reading. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a, a lawyer. Yeah, you can't actually do that. So, yeah, I guess like that's no, not something that usually yeah. that happens, if at all, if ever. No. Especially I, if you're found guilty. Yeah, no. I um, am 
married to a law student, as you know, Luke, mm-hmm. and watching movies with him about courtrooms are not fun. Did you and, watch this one with him? Yeah, and he is like, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's the worst. So, And before that, it was like he was a pilot, and so now, forever from now, anytime there's like any kind of airplane scene, he's like, that's not real. The cockpit doesn't look like that. That's not even what those buttons do. They're not even using the throttle. And I'm like, dude, no one cares. Let me watch this movie. <laughs> it takes out a lot of movies for you guys. Oh, I know. I'm just going to start watching movies alone. <laughs> I can't. I can't go from the movie room to the bedroom if I get scared. It's too hard. I just call him and be like, can you come get me? <laughs> Walk me to the bedroom now. <laughs> So that night at the bar, Carl is commending Aaron on her win, admits that he was wrong and offers her a full partnership in the firm, which she tells him to go and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff it. But at this point, we've left out a couple of things that I think have led her mm-hmm. to this point. Um, yeah. I think she is starting to very much believe some shit happened to her. She found this like weird locket that we didn't talk about, but like it's not really that important, but it happens to have like her initials on it mm. exactly. And like on this, mm-hmm. you know, this day or whatever, and there's all these like things that fall into place for her that I think become like very real that she now is like I do believe that was part of like what I was trying to figure out what to include in the synopsis here like yeah. do because because this film is really more and we've got like one more little blurb too that I kind of like touch on some of this stuff too uh, but this film is really a courtroom drama that like the the horror aspect of it is almost a little secondary but because you know this being a horror movie podcast I felt like, you know, we should try and like focus a little more on the horror elements of it, the the possession itself, the exorcism, that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of character growth in this film. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, is part of it, which, you know, here at the end when Father Moore and Aaron go to visit Emily's grave, uh, they're talking about her and Aaron reads that her headstone asks about the inscription on the headstone, which reads, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which is a scripture verse that Emily recited to Father Moore the night before she died. And I thought this was really fitting since the three main characters, Emily, Father Moore, and Aaron, were all facing big challenges throughout the, the entirety of this film. I mean, Emily had to deal with the demons inside herself to become a martyr. Father Moore was facing a long prison sentence if found guilty, but was like determined to to tell this story, even if that's what it meant. Right. He understood like what the consequences would be. And then Aaron was threatened with losing her job and had to wrestle with her own beliefs as the trial went on and she experienced things that she couldn't explain, including yeah. finding that locket. Like, was that just some cosmic coincidence yeah. or I love that they showed her wearing it in that last court scene too. like just, mm-hmm. just nice full circle there. And we only briefly touched on like the, the closing statements also, but I think that the, um, the opposing attorney did a really good job of, pointing out all of the things of like why it wasn't real right Which like, that, that was part of what we touched on in the beginning was that drip on the barbed yeah. wire scene so yeah part of what we didn't mention was in father moore's testimony after uh she had after emily had agreed to stay and you know yeah. see this through she got the stigmata. She, got, she got stigmata which is you know the markings of the crucifixion on your hands and feet yeah And part of the prosecution's closing statement was that, you know, Emily had a tendency, had a history of like hurting herself in these states. So that that was like plays from the barbed wire. It very easily could have been her going out and hurting herself on the barbed wire on the fence. And then she went to school and like studied languages and. 
there was that creepy shot though, like after they talk about the barbed wire where she's just standing there and like holding grabs it, onto yeah. it and just like staring up and it was like silent. Like there was no like yeah. audio from that. But like as he's talking, you just see that. And I was like, that's like a creepy looking image. Cause it was that out there on that foggy, yeah, the foggy totally. night when we saw that we saw from her like vision uh, scenario playing out. It, this movie does such a good job of like really allowing both sides to be presented. It's like the whole time it's like you could believe this or you could believe this. Like what you like you decide. It never leaves you being like and it's real. They yeah. never gave uh, any of the jurors in the film. They never they none of the jurors in the, they never saw a script. So they didn't know like, you know, what was going to be oh, said or that's so anything cool. like that. So it was like they were, you know, actually hearing this. Oh, I would hate to see that picture that they show in the courtroom of her dead body. Ugh. Yeah. That is bad. And they leave it there for such a long time. I remember seeing it and being like, dude, if I was a juror and had to stare at this dead body, I would just like, <laughs> I would hate it. Mm-hmm. I'd have nightmares. <laughs> All right. So let's move on <laughs> to our perspectives, likes, dislikes. Uh, Max, let's start with, start with you. What did you, what did you like? What didn't you like? So I, I, I love that this movie just makes you ask the question all the way through. As we've said through this whole podcast, it's so ambiguous. Even to, at the end, there, even though there is a, courtroom conclusion like you still don't know it's still 50 50 you don't get the philosophical because he's guilty but he gets to be let go you know so yeah i i love i love again that this is just like a horror movie inside of a of a a courtroom drama Mm -hmm. um the cinematography i really like jennifer carpenter's uh performance and, and the other actors as well uh all really done well now to <laughs> contradict myself i do want more exorcism yeah i do want maybe instead of the laura linney stuff like her waking up at 3 a.m and whatnot we focus more on emily and and the demon stuff i don't know but that it's a small small nitpick because yeah. i really really enjoy it i don't movie. know i think i think laura linney's stuff can stay in there because that's really that's sort of like what's it's relevant to pulling, the change at pulling the end. At her. Yeah. That's totally. really what drives her character development in this whole thing. Like if she doesn't experience those, those events, I don't think she, you know, her perspective shifts at all. I don't think she has the same closing argument. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it becomes a very like clinical, clinical thing for her. Like, I think she, she doesn't change at all. If those, if those things don't happen, because she has no reason to, she, she could just keep being, you know, the strict lawyer that she was before. Right. Like when she defended, uh, I didn't touch on this in the recap, but the, the big case that she, uh, defended before, like the one that kind of like was causing her to rise in fame, uh, that guy that she defended Murder, and got free murdering. ended up murdering two more people. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is, you know, part of her character development throughout. The she touches on that so. too. She says normally she like, you know, she's definitely defended bad people. She says mm. that. And then she's like, but this is like Father Moore is not one of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. What about you, Kristen? Likes, dislikes. Uh, well, you know, I love this movie. I picked it. Yeah. Uh, it was actually one that I've seen. Unlike my other movie picks, sometimes I just like to pick ones that I've read are good, you know? Um, but I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. I think that it is. I personally think exorcism is terrifying. I think demons are scary as fuck if they are real. Um, The thought of that is terrifying. And so I think that having this being based on a true story, um, 
everything about it, I just think it plays out really well. It's it's just enough fear for me. It, it's a really good storyline with the courtroom. And then, um, you know, like I agree with Max that, yeah, maybe I would have liked to seen a little more terror, terrifying moments of Emily being possessed would be cool to toss in there just as like some extra fear. Um, but the things that you do see are scary. Every time you see a flashback, it's fucking terrifying. And you know what? It might be even more terrifying because you don't see so much. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's also another thing that I loved about it is that you never see, you never see the demons. You never see, you know, um, the Virgin Mary. Like you don't ever, the movie never addresses if it's real or not real. And I really appreciate that about it. Um, I don't really have a lot of dislikes. Um, I guess I would, you know, I would agree with Max, maybe a little bit more of scenes of her being possessed would be cool that's all i got i don't know i like this movie yeah i think i i concur with both of you there uh on wanting to see more of the the horror aspects of this i wanted more scenes with emily uh because she does such a good job portraying that character uh i wanted to see more of what she went through and i one of my big likes throughout this was like the filmmaking the cinematography uh like the the way they shot this film and the tricks they use not tricks so much but just like the things that they use to cue like i said the purple lights every time a demon shows up things like that i love uh i loved like the dynamic camera movements and stuff when the power was kind of shifting when the witness was on the stand kind of telling their story and you're like oh yeah they're making a compelling case and then as the camera like slides the camera would like do a dolly movement to kind of show that the power is now going to shift over to the prosecution as they come up and start poking holes in all of the things that the, the person on the stand just said, I love that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's filmmaking, you know, one one is like, you know, clever camera movements and stuff like that using, using camera movement, using lighting and stuff to tell your story. Like uh, the big thing in filmmaking is show me, don't tell me, mm -hmm. like you don't want people explaining things to death. You want to like watch it on screen and see it happen and you know present it through the things that are happening on screen because that's what people are are there for they're there to watch this if you wanted to tell somebody something they'd be listening to a podcast or, or something or reading a book or something like that all right let's kick it over to christian for the body count yeah so <laughs> the body count yeah um i mean we only see two to my knowledge is that correct do we see it? <laughs> I mean, I feel like, we, yes, I, I, we don't. I'm just teasing you. No, yeah, the, we I don't, mean, it's a directly related death. Totally. To the film, we, don't, so it's, we don't really see her die. That's what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Because the other guy we see die. Yeah. Well, technically, we don't really know he's dead, I guess, but he's dead. <laughs> Goes like, into a windshield. Yeah, but he could have been in the hospital for like a while. We don't know. He's dead. You know what I mean? He's dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is dead. They say it. We just don't see it. He died as a direct relation to this storyline. <laughs> yeah, it's relevant. Like, yeah, it's relevant death. Um, yeah, I mean, we see the picture of her dead body and it's the whole movie. We understand she died. Um, obviously, I think I'm just going to say mine first. The worst way to die by possession and, you know, malnutrition. Nobody wants to starve to death. What a long, terrible, terrible way to die. Yeah, we thank what about Emily. You, Max? We thank Emily for doing that <laughs> and being a martyr. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. That's the, that's the worst. It's one. the worst. It's worse I, I than could the get car hit accident. by a car any day, but, uh, but being possessed and, and it's the cooler to death. way to die. It's cooler. It's cooler to be possessed. 
Way. If you're cooler. gonna let go out, that's the yeah. that's way cooler than car accident. The car is gonna get hurt more if they hit me. Oh my god! <laughs> and Derek, I'm assuming you're in agreement. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Emily's death here because <laughs> nobody wants six demons in there. Well, I mean, there's there's no there's endless possibilities of what can happen to you while this is taking place. Like yeah. while these demons are inside of you. I mean, we watched her. You know her body go into contortions and seize up and everything yeah. like that. I can't imagine how her fingers terrifying. with the wall scratching. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And not to mention, like you're just you're you're completely helpless in this. You're a passenger yeah. in your own body. Like there's these entities that are taking control, and you have no control over what your body is doing. And but I'm pretty sure you know you're in your mind, you're present, and yeah. you understand what's happening. Yeah. Even and, demons aside. If we take out, if you're one of those people who's like, nah, demons aren't real, then it still sucks to die of malnutrition. Okay? <laughs> yeah, like, let's this, get real, guys. If this was, you know, <laughs> epilepsy and, you know, schizophrenia and stuff, that's still absolutely terrifying to yeah. be a passenger in your own body 100%. when you cannot control what it's doing. Yeah. All righty. So for the new people in the room, after we talk about these films, we got to give them a rating. And on this podcast, we use the Scream Scale. For the uninitiated, the Scream Scale is a scientifically perfected system where we award the films that we watch a number of screams from 1 to 10. So, without further ado, Kristen, how many screams are you giving The Exorcism of Emily Rose? I love this movie, guys. I can't say it enough. It's a great movie. I'm giving it nine screams. Nine screams. Nine screams. Uh, yeah, no, this is a, a great uh, above, above average movie. Uh and again, just a different take on a horror movie uh, that you can really appreciate. Um, I'm going to give it. Uh, Don't do that thing where it's not an even number. I can see your brain. Eight right. Point Stop two it. Two He's trying one. to come up with like the, all, the decimal point. Eight, eight, eight. eight point two one. Eight. Yep. Screams. Eight two screams. Point two one. Eight. All right. So eight screams from Max. Uh, point two one coming back to me. <laughs> Idiot. Like I said, this was this was actually one I didn't get to watch this as many times as I had kind of hoped I would leading up to it this week. Um, but getting to watch it again, it was a fun one to revisit, and I'll actually probably go watch it again after after today's recording. Uh, I loved the cinematography. Like I said, the lighting that they used, that scene when the devil announces himself through Emily, uh things like that just the the shots and everything it was a great beautifully shot film i really i my big knock against it is i would have loved more horror aspect to it even though the character development that we see throughout the film with the character with the characters in the courtroom and stuff take place and even the one that we didn't really touch on which was ethan's character like him being a religious man himself like what that must have been like to go through uh and take somebody of his faith and basically try and debunk everything that you know he believes in uh, to prove this case and to get the conviction. Yeah. I can't imagine what that must have been like for him. Uh, so great character film and like, you know, good writing throughout the film and everything too. So I think given all that, I'm giving this film seven screams. All right. So coming up next week, we've got Max's pick for June, which is host. Never seen it. I'm stoked. Ooh. Max, you want to give the, give a little preface on what the screen team should expect from this one? Uh, you know, a bit of a found footage film, another uh, demon uh, possessing things film. There's a theme here of what we're into. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't want to give anything away. So, uh, Marlo, you've never seen it. Derek, have you watched it yet? I did watch this one back in October for yeah. the for the marathon. Yeah, so. it's a it's a fun one. Very it was, fun. It yeah. was filmed during the pandemic. 
I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. And you'll know how. I'm sure right it had away. to have been because I mean, this like this whole premise of it, like yeah. where it takes place, is only blew up because of the pandemic, right? So yeah, it's uh, wait, where does it take? It's place? fun. Where does it? Take I'm not going to give anything away. To I you. just want to know where it takes place. All right. So next week's film is host. And if you're, if you want to know what other films are coming down the line to chime in about them, ask us a question or anything else. Let us know on Twitter or Instagram at scream team pod is the name as well as the Facebook group. And just because I can't gush enough about how awesome the other shows on the chatter network are, I want to let you all know that you should absolutely go to the chatter today. Not only can you find a full list of the shows in the chatter family, but you can find out exactly where to find them out there in the vast ocean of the internet. If you don't already have a preferred home for your pods. Our show comes out every Friday, so go find something else to listen to while you wait for the next one. That being said, we love you all so much and appreciate the support we've had through the early episodes, but we want to keep growing, and the best way for us to do that is having you guys subscribe to the show, rate us, and share it with your friends. Hashtag spread the screams. Well, thank you both for being such awesome co-hosts, and just hope that the next time that you smell something burning, it's actually just your roommate leaving the bread in the toaster for too long. Thank you all so much for joining us on another episode of the Silver Screams podcast. Once again, I'm Derek. I'm Kristen. And I'm Max. And we'll catch you next time. Stay spooky, Scream Team.